It's a privilege to be back with you this morning as the Cavaleros are finishing up their vacation. Um, and indeed, we pray that they would have much rest and good time with family and with each other and that the Lord would deliver them out of the frigid cold where they're at. Um, so, yeah. Also, welcome to the first Sunday in 2018. You made it one week in. Uh, last week, we, uh, this morning's sermon passage comes from Luke 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Uh, last Sunday, we considered the question, will God show up and be at work in 2018? For me, for you, for us together. And I wanted to take that a little bit deeper this week as we think about approaching the Lord in, in prayer, like the last hymn we sang, talked about. But I think when I'm honest with myself, my guess is when many of us are honest with ourselves, hymns like that either glance right off the top of our head because we feel bad because we really don't take it to the Lord in prayer. Or sometimes we just don't know how. Or we're doubtful in our hearts. Many of us, every time the year starts over, have it if we do lists of things we want to accomplish for the new year. Something about growing in our ability to pray to the Lord, to engage and draw closer to the Lord. And that's what Jesus' disciples are asking in this passage. They're asking Him, Jesus, their friend, their teacher, to teach Him how to pray. So will you read with me from Luke 11? Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not in temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Will you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that You would work, that You would speak to us through Your Word. You've promised that Your Word is how You speak, Your Word that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that has lived and existed in all of eternity with you and the Son who anointed the Son when He was a man here walking in our midst. The Spirit that you have given to believers to be able to cry out to you. Would you speak 
your word through your spirit to us this morning because we desperately need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several summers ago, Brittany and I, before we had kids, before while we were still in seminary, spent a summer on the central coast of California, where I was doing an internship at a PCA church in San Luis Obispo. Beautiful area of the country. Um, and for that summer, we were working there in the midst of some great friends and the people there. One of the weeks, though, we weren't in San Luis Obispo proper. We were out on the coast in Morro Bay with one of the deacons of the church because we had to move out of our lodging um, for a week, and we stayed with this family. Chip, the husband, was a soil science professor at um, Cal Poly, California Polytechnic University. He was a great teacher. He always got great reviews because he was a great teacher. Beth, his wife, was also a great teacher, a gifted teacher, but spent a lot of their time raising their two twins who they had later on in life. When you spend a week with someone in close quarters, I hear people laughing because this is going the opposite direction. Actually, good things happen. You get to know people. You get to know their rhythms. You get to know what they're passionate about. And one of those things that I got to know about Chip was that he is passionate about surfing. And that's one of the main reasons that they lived right there on the coast rather than in town because his commute was 45 minutes to work. Every morning, Chip would get up and go surf. He would get up early. He would go surf. He would come back home, shower, clean up, drive in his car 45 minutes to work. And then he would come back home and repeat it the next day. He was avid about surfing. And when you spend every day with someone, even just for a week, you be, their passions begin to rub off on you. And it makes you want to com- be compelled to at least explore their passions. And so at the end of the week, I said, Chip, will you teach me to surf? And now I'm not in great shape now, but I was in far less shape then. But I asked him anyway, will you teach me to surf? And so we went out in our wetsuits in the cold Pacific Ocean one morning to, for him to teach me a little bit to surf. Because I said, Chip, will you teach me to surf? I think in a similar way, because Jesus' life has rubbed off on his disciples and his passions have rubbed off on his disciples, they ask him about praying. They see, they've, they've seen him get up early in the morning to go out to a desolate place, to pray by himself, to return, to get finish getting ready for work, to go about his work of the day, healing and caring for people. And so they see that it's the impact that it's made on him. And so they come to him and say, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? I think for some of us, praying seems so much scarier than and daunting than surfing we know at least in surfing that we go out into the water with a piece of fiberglass and foam and try to catch a wave and that there's a start and there's an end and you can see and experience what is happening but when it comes to prayer where do we even start we don't know what to expect it seems so mysterious for some of us it feels like we're completely just talking to ourselves for others of us 
especially if we're new to Christianity, we might not know a whole lot about who we're praying to. I think still for most of us, we have this desire, if we have this desire to relate to God, we want to grow in our ability to pray and communicate and listen to God. And we want to ask with Jesus' first disciples, Jesus, teach us to pray. But so often we don't know what to expect. We long to know how to approach God, but we come with muddled expectations. Today we're going to look a little bit of one of Jesus' teachings on prayer. He, prayer. he teaches about prayer in some other places. We're going to look at one short prayer and two short stories. We're not going to go into depth of Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm going to let Steve do that with you guys. I'm sure some of you have had that teaching before. But I want us to look at some basic principles from it. That each of the three petitions in the Lord's Prayer point out the reality that prayer is relational. Now, for some of us, we inherently get that, and we're like, of course, I know that prayer is relational. But for others of us, like me, often I have to be reminded, yeah, prayer is relational. It's not mechanical. It's not a list. The prayer is actually relational, engaging with a person in a, with whom we're in a relationship. So this morning we're going to begin very basically with we must pray remembering that prayer involves relationship. Remembering this and bringing this back to our minds and our, the attention of our minds will adjust our attitudes in our heart as we begin to think about praying in 2018. I think in this passage there's two aspects that we see about that relationship that we're going to look at. That the relationship is a dependent relationship and the relationship is a personal relationship. So we're going to go, we're going to look at those two in those orders. So first we may pray remembering that we are in a dependent relationship with God. In Luke's edited version, summarized version of the Lord's Prayer, every petition reflects dependence. A creational purpose dependence. A physical dependence and a spiritual dependence. We're going to look at each of those three things. So a creational purpose dependence. What do I mean by that? Human beings, you, human beings were created with a purpose. It says that in Genesis 1, 26-28, when God created human beings, He created them in His image. And then He tells them to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth. But an ancient Israelite would hear that as they have left Egypt and are hearing this story for the first time of the creation of the world. What would conjure up in their mind is what ancient kings would do, what the Pharaoh would even do. That he would put an image on a coin or on a banner or on a standard and he would place that out in all the realms of his territory that he ruled over. And as his territory expanded through conquest, he would put his image out in those other places as well, declaring to the whole of the territory his glory, that he ruled over all of this and it brought glory to his name. What God is saying to the first people coming out of the Exodus and to the first humans is you have much dignity because you are made in my image. Now fill the earth by having offspring 
and showing my glory into all the aspects of the earth that I reign over. As God's image bearers filled the earth, his name would be honored and hallowed, and his kingdom or his reign would fill the earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is teaching is that his his disciples to pray, knowing that they are dependent on God for even the, the basic mission of glorifying God in the earth. They're dependent on him as they pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Realizing that God is the only one who can truly bring honor to his name through people, through his people. So he's teaching them to pray, Father, bring honor to your name through us. Your kingdom come. That God, only you can make your reign known and seen on earth. It's not up to us. It's up to you. You delight to use us, but it's really you working through us. We're dependent on you for our purpose as human beings. We're also physically dependent on God. And we confess that as we're praying. So what do we mean by this? Jesus says, pray, give us each day our daily breads. Now, I don't know about you, but my body is hardwired to remind me my need when I'm hungry. That I need food. So my stomach growls, I get thirsty. My guess is that's true of most of you as well. Our bodies know when we need physical food, when we need drink. For the, the reality, though, is for most of us, we almost always know where our next meal is coming for us. Now, some of us probably, that hasn't always been true in life. Maybe it's not true right now for you, and I encourage you to talk to the deacons of the church if that's true of you. But we do experience our needs being provided for but so often take it for granted. We experience it without even realizing it. What Jesus is saying is pray realizing that you are in a dependent relationship with God, even for your physical needs. Pray that he would provide for those needs, even though you know where things are coming from. Pray that he would provide those needs and that we would remember that he's the one that ultimately provides those needs. Spiritual dependence. Jesus is saying, pray remembering that you are spiritually dependent on God as well. He tells his disciples to pray in verse 4, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is saying, remember that you are dependent on God for forgiveness. Remember that you can't earn God's forgiveness, that he must freely give it to you when you ultimately come asking him to forgive your sins. Asking. Because you can't provide it. I want us to think about this by imagining you and your roommate. Whether that roommate is a spouse or a sibling or a child or a parent. All of us, most all of us have roommates or have had roommates at some point in our life. Now imagine that you have a $1,500 TV that someone has given you. It is yours. It belongs to you. It costs a bunch of money. Now I want you to imagine that one of your roommates or one particular roommate in a moment of weakness, lost his or her temper and flung a glass across the room at you because they were angry. That probably doesn't describe anybody in this room. But you dodged the glass and it sailed right past you, crashed right into the TV, and you heard this whine and a groan and a split and a pop and then smoke. (laughs) And the TV is dead. 
That TV costs money. Now it doesn't work. Now your roommate owes you. He's indebted to you. Somebody's got to pay for it. Now imagine that that roommate comes to you truly sorry, truly repentant, admitting, yes, I have a weakness with my anger. I need to grow. Please help me grow. And out of God's own working in your heart, you completely forgive their debt. So much so where they don't, you're going to absorb the cost of the TV. Now it wouldn't make any sense for you to make them pay you back via chores, via doing your laundry, by washing your car, by doing anything else. If you have said, I've cleared you of your debt because their debt is cleared. Now let's think of our relationship with God. Our sin is cosmic treason against the creator and the ruler of the earth. And we've done far more than just break a TV. We've rebelled against him, damaged other people's lives, and hurt his name, his reputation. Instead of hallowing his name, we have dishonored his name in the realms of the world that we live in, that we individually live in. We have a great debt. We are greatly indebted to God. We owe God more than we can pay him off. When it, we come to him realizing that we are in an infinite amount of debt, we realize that we are completely dependent on him to forgive us. That we can't earn it. That we can't muster up enough cuteness or pity in him based on our action, based on our own sorrow for our own sin. That we come to him asking for mercy. And he grants it freely to us. We are dependent on Him to forgive us and absorb the cost of our sin. That's coming to Him in spiritual dependence. And when we get to that point, that's what empowers the next line in the prayer. As we forgive those indebted to us. We forgive because God forgives us and empowers us to forgive other people. Jesus is calling us to remember that we are spiritually dependent to walk faithfully to seek to glorify God. And as he says, lead us not into temptation. We're dependent on God from preventing us from even falling and failing. So we plead to God dependent that we would not be led into situations where we would dishonor him, where we would sin against him. That we're even dependent to walk faithfully. That if his spirit wasn't walking faithfully in us, we would wander off and the most hideous directions. So we're creationally, physically, and spiritually dependent on God. And God honors and hallows His name as He provides for us because we are dependent. Jesus tells a story to illustrate this, to paint a picture in this first little parable. Now, a little bit of context for this story. He's telling this story to a people in a culture that highly values hospitality. It is a moral virtue for them. We don't often think about hospitality in the same way, but for them, hospitality is one of the chief virtues. An individual's practice of hospitality is tied to the community's reputation for hospitality. There's this dovetail relationship between the individual and the community. People depend on each other to practice hospitality as a community. And their reputation as a community depends on it. So Jesus starts 
Imagine if. Imagine if you go to a neighbor's house at midnight, and because he knows you, you don't knock. You just call out, hey, friend, I have a need. I have another friend who's been traveling all night to avoid the heat of the day, and he's about to arrive at my house. I'm all out of bread to give him. Will you give me three loaves to provide for him? In Jesus' day, bread is like utensils. It replaces a fork and a spoon. The bread would be flat and long and lay in the center of the table and people would tear off of a piece and they would dip it into the sauce or into the hummus or they would use it to pick up meat. It's like how some of us in the Southwest use tortillas or tortilla chips to eat our food, especially if we don't have forks and spoons. We get that a little bit here. In other places, they don't get that. Bread is necessary. People cannot eat with bread. You can't show hospitality with bread in Jesus' culture. So villagers would bake their bread once or twice a week in the community bread oven that would be in the center of the town. And the problem arises because the host who has this friend coming into town has run out of his supply of bread for the week or for at least till the next time he goes to the bread oven. But one of the good things about a community bread oven is that you can watch and know who made a lot of bread that week or that period. You know who has extra. And so this is calculated. This guy who's about to host a friend knows who to go to in the middle of the night. So this host goes to his neighbor and calls out, Friend, please may I have some bread for another friend who's coming into town. And Jesus says, Will the sleeper really reply, no, go away. I'm already in bed. My kids are in bed. Now I want to point out, notice how he doesn't say friend. So you can tell he's pretty annoyed that he's being disturbed and woken up in his sleep. He just says, no, go away. Jesus says, no, I, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his sense of shame, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus is speaking to a culture that has this high balance of honor and shame. What he's saying is that the sleeper's impudence, the sleeper's shamelessness is what's going to compel him. Because the sleeper has a high sense of shame and honor, he will not dishonor the community. He will actually get up and provide for the asker in the middle of the night because he doesn't want to dishonor the community. So the sleeper will answer the call because the asker is dependent and the sleeper's honor is at stake. Jesus says, how much more will God listen and answer when we ask because we are dependent on him and he is the God who receives honor and glory when he provides for us who are dependent on him. What Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples is ask Seek, knock with confidence, knowing that because God's name is honored and His kingdom is glorified by providing, He will answer your prayer. So pray with confidence. Enter 2018 praying with confidence. When we come to God realizing that we are dependent on Him, because His name is hallowed above all things, because He is the King who rules over all of the created universe, even to the tiny details of your physical life, we realize that he's the one who provides for our daily needs. 
Even when we went to the grocery store last night and our refrigerator is full and our pantry is full, He's the one that is providing. When we come to Him dependent, we come not with a sense of entitlement regarding our forgiveness. We come with a greater sense that He has extended His grace and absolved the debt that we couldn't pay. Which leads us to forgive the people in our lives when they sin against us and they're indebted to us. When we come to Him realizing that we are dependent, when we realize that it's not, if it wasn't for His leading, we would completely fall off the path. And we would commit treason over and over again like we do. But we would wander off into complete apostasy and lack of faithfulness. When we pray like that, we remember those things and it grows a gratitude in our heart. But this will cause us to pray with confidence and urgency, asking and knocking and seeking with a persistence that realizes that God has to listen. God must listen or I'm not going to be okay. I'm going to be undone if God doesn't listen. Realizing that we are dependent causes us to flee to his feet because he's the one we're dependent on. How would that change the way you prayed if you prayed remembering that you are in this dependent relationship with God? Would you come with more humility because realizing that you can't carve out the way on your own? Would you come with more urgency? Would you actually pray about more things? Would that change the way you prayed if you prayed remembering that you are in a dependent relationship with Him? What are some of those things that you have begun to pray for? Because you're dependent on every single area of your life on Him. Jesus is reorienting His disciples' understanding of their relationship with God. We're dependent. But the relationship is not just dependent, it's also personal. Look at verse 2. Look how verse 2 starts. Jesus is telling his students to start by praying, Father. Not as high and holy one, not as almighty God or mighty creator, though those are all true. Instead, Jesus says, pray like this, Father. Leading up to Jesus' day, God was seen as high and above, which is, again, true. But so much so that people would not mention the name that God had given them. And for a lot of people... God had become less personal. He's a distant, abstract God, so far above that he couldn't care about us in our littlest way. We see that in some religions in the world today. And isn't that true of us? Don't we struggle with the same thing about God as abstract and far off? So often we think of God as just, quote, G-O-D, God becomes an abstract reality for us. When I was in college, I, part of my major included several philosophy classes. And we talked about God in a lot of our philosophy discussions and a lot of the different philosophies. But it was always in this abstract sense. And for me, as a 20-year-old, that began to creep into my mind and my heart about God as just kind of an abstract being, abstract force. Does God really care? My guess is that has happened to some of you as well, whether through a class or whether through a book that you've read that creeps into your heart. Some of us in the room are naturally skeptic. And we've struggled with the idea of God as someone who's personal, 
ever since we can remember. Most of us also have friends or family members who aren't Christians but still speak of God and believe in God. A lot of people in Tucson, because Tucson is a fairly spiritual place, believe in some form of God, but not the true God. Some of us in the room today, especially for visitors, even regular attenders, might struggle with that in a very real way and believe God is He's just an abstract being, some presence. But Jesus is inviting us into something more deeply warm and more deeply personal. For some of us, though, Father is not a warm image. It's not an inviting relationship. Perhaps we didn't have a dad growing up or a dad who was emotionally absent or worse, abusive. Jesus is pushing back against that as well. The word for father in Jesus' language conveys intimacy, warmth, and tenderness. It's how a child addresses their dad. And it's also how a grown man would address his father with whom he's in a loving relationship. Him knowing that he loves the father. And the father knowing that the father loves him as well. As they're both adults engaging in the community together. Some of you have a blessed relationship with your dad even though you're an adult. That's the image that Jesus is conjuring up by saying father. It carries the idea of provider and guardian, the one who is ultimately responsible for the well-being of the child and actually cares about the well-being of the child. The father is the warm and tender one who is also responsible to guard and protect and provide for you. Jesus illustrates this with another little story. He says, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So what's Jesus doing here? Those of you who have studied logic in your schools, he's making a lesser to greater argument. Children are dependent on their parents. But so are puppies in a dog kennel, right? Your dogs are dependent on you, or even a dog in the kennel is dependent on the masters. But children are not like puppies. Children have a deep personal relationship with their parents. They trust their parents. What Jesus is saying is that human beings are sinful and selfish and self-centered. But they would never in their right mind play a wicked practical joke on their children who trust them. For example... In palace, in where Jesus is, there's a Palestinian yellow scorpion that's two and a half to three inches large. And when it balls up, it's, it resembles an, an egg. And no father would use that against his children as a practical joke. Because they love their children. Their children are in a personal loving relationship with their father. Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father, who has adopted you as a daughter, who has adopted you as a son, give you His Holy Spirit to comfort you, to care for you, to help you enjoy the relationship, to help you know His love? Throughout the Bible, when God gives His Spirit, it's often associated with the receiver knowing God's love for her. 
for him. When Mike read the passage from Romans earlier today, that's what it's talking about. That we have his spirit that leads us in our hearts to cry out, Abba, Papa, Father, like a child in a personal relationship with his or her perfect father. So how does remembering that you are in a personal relationship, how should it? A personal relationship with a tender and responsible father, how should it affect your praying? For some of us, it's a motivation because we can actually begin to believe just a little bit more that God really does care for us. That God actually loves me. That God actually loves you as an individual. Not you just kind of as a, as a community, but you individually, you personally. He's also not the distracted father who's reading the newspaper at the breakfast table or looking at his iPhone after work while the kids are asking questions and completely ignoring them. He's not like Batman in Lego Batman for those kids who've seen it. When Robin is asking him if he'll adopt him, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure. He's not like that. Others of us need to remember in this personal relationship that God loves us more than we love ourselves. That sometimes when we pray, God might not give us what we want or what we think we need because he loves us more than we love ourselves. For example, I want you to remember when you were younger, whether that was just a few years ago or whether it was... 50 years ago, or even more. It's approaching 5.30 when dinner is going to be on the table, and you can smell the dinner cooking, and you are getting hungrier and hungrier as a, as a kid. And so you go to your parents and say, can I have a snack? How would your parent answer? No, I love you. Dinner's on the table in 15 minutes. Wait until then. Your mom and dad loved you more then they cared about meeting your immediate need because they knew that the meal was more nourishing and better for you than it was going to come in 15 minutes. They knew you better than yourself. They love you better than yourself. God loves you better than you love yourself. For some of us, we need to actually hear that we have a Father who actually loves us and likes us, who, like the Zephaniah passage talks about, delights over you with singing, who sings you to sleep like a parent singing their child to sleep with that much care. We need to hear that because we never felt like we had an earthly father that loved us or liked us. How would your prayers change if you remembered this personal fatherly relationship when you prayed? Would you allow yourself to relax more as you prayed? not feeling like you had to impress God, that you could speak freely, would it allow you to soften more and not be so guarded as you pray, hoping allowing yourself to hope? Would you ask more boldly in your praying? Would you trust more if you didn't get an immediate response or if you prayed something consistently for many years? Would you still not lose hope because you believed you had a Father who loved you? How would your prayers change if you remember this personal fatherly relationship that you are in? Let me end with this. I have two kids, two children, Jonah and Penelope. Jonah is six years old, Penny's four. 
And they're both quite dependent on us. Jonah thinks he's moving more into independence like any child. But still, even as a six-year-old, still very dependent on us. But when Jonah was three and a half, not but, but when Jonah was three and a half, every morning he would get up and walk quietly into our room. And I would hear him open the door a little bit further than it was already open. And I would hear him sneak across the room, come to my side of the bed, take my hand and say, Daddy, can I have a cup of milk and some cereal? So much so that this is a rhythm in our family. My kids still do it today. And I and all of my grumpiness and my grogginess, what would I do? I would get up to get him a little cup of milk and either a, a, a baggie to put some dry cereal in or a little bowl to put dry cereal in. And I'd set him up at that point in life right beside my bed where he would eat and I would hear him crunching the whole time. <laughs> I would never get up and intentionally give either of my children spoiled milk or something dangerous. But there have been some times when Jonah or Penny, when they do this, have gotten up way too early, like at 4 a.m. And in their mind, they're just waking up and they come and they ask the same thing. Daddy, will you get me a cup of milk and cereal? And what do I say? Say, no, it's still sleepy time. It's still nighttime. So I hope help them go to the bathroom and get back in the bed and hopefully go to sleep. Because I know what they need more than milk or cereal at the time is sleep. Jonah and Penny know they are dependent on me. They're also in a tender personal relationship with me who is mean and grumpy a lot of the time. But they're still in a tender and personal relationship. So every morning they come with confidence that I'm going to care for them. How much more will God care for us? God who never sleeps. God who is never moody. God who is never groggily trying to avoid the toys on the way to the kitchen because he didn't pick them up the night before. God who instead freely gave of himself by sending the second person of the Trinity, his only son, into the world that we might know him personally as he walked in our midst, as he taught, as he had a human voice with human needs. He also showed his love for us by dying that he might clear the sin and the debt that we had created by our cosmic treason. That through his life, and His death, His resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit, those who believe in Him might be adopted as daughters and as sons who know that they're in a dependent relationship, but who also know that they're in a personal relationship with a Father who loves them. This is the God we pray to. This is the God that hears and listens when you pray. Will you pray with me now? Father, help us to believe this. We struggle to believe it. We struggle to get up every morning and believe that you actually care. So, at best, we make a list and we read off the list. At worst, we're frustrated with you. You're big enough to be 
for allow us to be frustrated like a parent is big enough to allow their child to be frustrated. But you do it perfectly. You still hear us when we are upset and when we are grumpy and you don't expect us, you don't call us to come to you in a perfect way. That even when we come to you hurt and broken, you hear us because you love us. Because we are dependent on you and your glory and your honor at stake. So you care for us and provide for us. Help us to believe that. Help some of us to believe it for the first time, that you would give us the spark of faith through the Holy Spirit, that we would cry out, Abba, Father. Some of us, I pray that you would help us to cry out, Abba, Father, for the first time in a long time. For some of us, I pray you would sustain us because we enjoy a good prayer life with you. We pray that you would sustain us even more. Help us to lean into you as we enter into 2018. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.